Second Samuel chapter nine. At this point, before I read verse one, let me give you some context. At this point, uh, David has become king, and he is one powerful dude. He, uh, unlike Saul, who uh, was not a man after God's own heart and really ruled the kingdom for his pleasure, not the pleasure of God. David rules the kingdom for the pleasure of God, and uh, he has mobilized uh, power, and he's defeated the enemies all around them, vanquished them. I love that word. You don't know what it means. It just means kind of like descended upon them and destroyed them. Um, the, just the different countries that had just been used to with reckless abandon going into Israel and doing whatever they wanted in many circumstances because Saul was a, wasn't a godly king, so therefore he's a weak king. But David, uh, a man who ruled the kingdom for the pleasure of, uh, of the Lord, uh, has he, he's uh, consolidated, that was the word that I was looking for, consolidated power and uh, he's at peace. He's at rest. The God of peace. He worships the God of peace. Isn't that wonderful that we worship the God of peace? Romans six twenty. So, so uh, rather sixteen twenty. Uh, and it and it says here in verse one of Second Samuel chapter nine. Now David said, "Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul?" that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now remember, Jonathan was the son of Saul. Verse 2, And there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. And so the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lo-Dabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lo-Dabar. The bar, and so um, what's going on here? Well, if you remember, uh, David became a covenant friend of the son of Saul after David had defeated Goliath. He defeated Goliath. Uh, it says that. Uh, it says that. Uh, Saul called for David there and uh, talked to him after he defeated, defeated Goliath. David shows up with, Saul, with a Goliath's head and, uh, and talks with him. And Jonathan, the son of Saul, who was also, a, you could say, a general in Saul's army, witnessed the conversation with Saul and in 1 Samuel chapter 18, it says, in verse 1, it says, Now when David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and uh, would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Verse 4, and Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So they became uh, very, very good friends. Uh, it, it, it's a fascinating thing in the Bible that uh, sometimes an evil king would give birth to a son who would... Uh, be, be rise up and he became a good king. Other times, a good king would give rise to a son, birth to a son, his, son, his wife would give birth, and the 
son would grow up and he would be a good king. Um, so good to good, bad to good. Then there would be bad to bad. But there was, and so there would also be good to bad. There was those four options. And so you look at the life of Saul and the behavior that Jonathan must have witnessed, just the temper, the anger, the selfishness, the self-absorption. Uh, it's a wonder that um, Jonathan grew up to be a, a righteous son, but that's the mercy of God. The Lord does that. If you grew up with a father who uh, was just a super bad example, don't give in to modern-day psychiatrists' uh, argument and philosophy that you are basically doomed for the rest of your life to have, quote-unquote, issues that doesn't have to happen to you. Jesus Christ breaks the spell Rather, he breaks, well, he breaks the spell, but he breaks the cycle, uh, the, the cycle of, of the curse. In, in Galatians chapter 3, it says that. And there's no, way, no need at all. You need to be like your evil father, if your father indeed was evil. And so Jonathan loved uh, David. In fact, when uh, Saul was very jealous of him in chapter 19 of First uh, Samuel, uh, he would be arguing with his father uh, about David in verse 4 of chapter 19. It says, Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul's father and said, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you and because his works have been very good toward you. Uh, and then uh, in, in chapter 20 of, of First Samuel, uh, there's an, a, a covenant that's made when Jonathan figures, um, when it gets close to the time where it becomes evident that uh, Saul's really, really after David's life, and he's, Saul's at the point of no return, uh, Jonathan says this to David. They, they meet up, and Jonathan says, but if it pleases my father to do you evil, this is 1 Samuel 20, verse 13, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but this is what's important. Verse 15 of 1 Samuel 20. You shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Verse 16, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. But Jonathan again caused David to bow because he loved him, for he loved him as much as his own soul. Jonathan appears again in 1 Samuel 23, uh, goes to meet David out in the, in the wilderness in the middle of the forest when David was running away from Saul. And he went to him, and it says in verse 16 of 1 Samuel 23, he strengthened his hand in God. And he said to David, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel. I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. So uh, they, uh, Jonathan eventually does die. He dies on the battlefield uh, with with his father Saul, and most of uh, most of uh, of Saul's uh, children do die at that time. There was an exception, uh, but we've already read about him, uh, Ishbosheth, and he was later killed. Uh, and so now David wants to know. He's he's secured his power, and he wants to know. He's remembering the covenant that he made with Jonathan, and he's thinking, okay, I made this covenant with Jonathan to be kind to all his descendants. Is there anyone left? Because typically what happened, and what in fact did in large part happen, is that Philistine came in and, and they tried to kill all the descendants of anyone of Saul. That's what they did in the ancient world to uh, try to eliminate any threat. 
So we ask, is there anyone left that I can show kindness to? And um, he calls for one of Saul's former servants. His name was Ziba. He asks him, and Ziba says, actually, yes, there is. You can sh show kindness to someone. Uh, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. And so um, if you remember, we, uh, it, it's a man by the name of Mephibosheth. And if you remember Mephibosheth's name, this is the son of Jonathan, came up um, in an earlier chapter when the Philistines had defeated the house of Saul, Mephibosheth's nurse or the woman who took care of him, you could call uh, her the nanny, ran away with him knowing that she and him would be slaughtered if the Philistines got a hold of her and she dropped him or they both fell. Uh, and as a result of the fall, both of Mephibosheth's feet became lame. And so um, he was just at the mercy um, of people helping him. He lives in the land of Lodabar. So King David calls for him, verse 6, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then, said, then David said, Mephibosheth? Don't try to say that 10 times in a row really fast. You're going to suffer bad if you try to do that. But, uh, and, and he answered, here is your servant. Verse 7. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Verse 8, then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Verse 9, and the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall Bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded to his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Verse 12. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table. And he was lame in both his feet. So Jesus, in the last chapter of the book of Luke, he's resurrected. And there are two disciples who are walking from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. And the resurrected Jesus overtakes them and notices that they are filled with sorrow and they're depressed, they're discouraged, and he asked them, why? Why is your countenance so low? Why are you so sad? And they said, are you a stranger to Jerusalem that you haven't heard what has happened? And he said, uh, and then they said, they spoke of, of Jesus, who was a prophet, and who they hoped would restore Israel, and be the, they hoped that he was the Messiah, that he had been crucified. And then Jesus proceeded to give them I think one of the most famous Bible studies ever given, if there's any Bible study I would like to be in ever in the history of mankind, it would have been this one. Jesus, it said, took them um, through the law and the prophets and spoke and pointed out all the time in the Old Testament, it was speaking of him. And, uh, and then they sat down to eat, he disappeared, and they said, did our hearts not 
burn. Did our hearts not burn when he was before us teaching the word of God? And that's our hope, by the way, that we teach the word of God around here, that um, that your heart, something would happen in your own hearts because of the work of the Holy Spirit and, and because of Christ in us. But no doubt one of the places that Jesus would have pointed out to those disciples on the way to Emmaus, who, by the way, never got to Emmaus, they turned back to Jerusalem and went and reported to the, to the 11 uh, apostles, Jews being dead by then, uh, that they had seen the Lord. And so... Um, but no doubt one of the places that he showed them would have been 2 Samuel chapter 9. And why do I say that? Well, because Mephibosheth is, uh, is a wonderful picture of you and me. And David is a wonderful picture, a wonderful type, a wonderful foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, just a couple things. There's, there's just if you're taking notes, um, there, there's so many similarities. Uh, it's, it's really astounding, and I'm sure I'm going to probably miss them. Uh, first of all, Mephibosheth is a, a compound name. It's two names. One it means break in pieces, the, and the other means shame. Now, who knows why a mom would have named her kid? break in pieces shame. Uh, I don't know that. Maybe it was some sort of word of prophecy. Things were not going good in, in, the, uh, in the house of Saul, which no doubt actually they weren't. They never were going good except for a very brief time. But, but uh, that's the two names, break in pieces and shame. Uh, and here we see David seeking out this young man named Breaking in Pieces Shame. And uh, he's seeking him out. Jesus says in John 15 to his disciples, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I sought you out. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, I came to seek and save the one who was lost. Uh, and so he seeks him out. Where does he seek him out? Uh, he seeks them out in a place called Lodabar, which means barren land. Barren land. Mephibosheth is lame. And when he comes before, um, when he comes before uh, David, David says, do not fear. And when Mephibosheth begins to speak, he says, what is your servant that you should look upon a dead dog such as I? So let's back up. The Bible says very clearly that, again, we already quoted the verse, God sought you out. He sought you out to save you. He found you. He sought and saved you who were lost. Whether you realized it or not at the time that he found you, your word can, your life could be, two things could be said of your life. One, you were broken in pieces. Whether you knew it or not, your soul was disintegrated. It was in shambles. And number two, there was shame. Your, your, your life was characterized by shame. Three, the Lord found you in a barren place, in a wilderness, a place where there was just, it was not a place of pasture. It was not a place of still waters. It was not a place of, of where we re you really understood truly the purpose of your life. We, you knew what the goal of your life was. It was a wilderness place, just like Lodabar, the barren place, the place of no pasture, the place of, uh, uh, of, of just of wandering, wondering, what in the world am I doing here? That's the place of, of Lodabar. That's where Mephibosheth lived. Uh, number four, you were lame. 
you were lame. Uh, the Bible says that without Christ, actually it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But without Christ, we can do what? Nothing. What does Jesus say to his disciples in John 15? He says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. I am the vine. You are the branch. If the branch is not connected to the vine, you can do, apart from me, you can do nothing. You're what? You're lame, like Mephibosheth. Um, when Mephibosheth uh, came to David, he said, uh, David said, do not fear. When, when, when God came to seek you out, more likely than not, you had the view, which is the most common view of people on planet Earth, that uh, God is just, is not interested in a relationship with love. And if you really try to show up with God, he's going to, He's, he's going to whack you. He's the cosmic cop. He's going to whack you really bad. And the most that could possibly happen is that he could, you know, let you, reluctantly let you play in his backyard as long as you played according to the rules. And, da and, 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 and David said, what? Do not fear, just as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, well-known verse, some of you already know where I'm going. Verses 28 through 30, he says what? He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, our, our conception of God is one where there's an unhealthy fear of God. There's a healthy fear of God. That's a different sermon for a different day. But th th uh, uh, you're more scared of him like uh, an abused child is scared of an abusive father or mother. And, and that's a very unhealthy view of God. Well, um, Mephibosheth finds out that David's not going to kill him at all. In fact, on the contrary, he says, I want you to eat at my father's house. and uh, not, uh, not my father's house. I want you to eat in my house. And he, interestingly, um, in verse 11, it says, As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. And uh, how amazing is that, that the Bible says that far from just reluctantly allowing us in his backyard, uh, the Lord, we become an adopted son, like a real adopted son, like the real thing. Like there's an eternal legal decree And it says in, actually my favorite verse, it's, it's, it's uh, Romans 8, uh, 14 is one place, but my favorite place is to read this is Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 says this. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent, and this is verse 4 through 6 of Galatians when the fullness of God of, of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So it's crazy. This man named Mephibosheth, who, because he was from the house of Saul, was an enemy of God, enemy of David. I mean, he had a claim to the throne. He, at least it was possible, could have mobilized people in Israel and say, who is this imposter David? Who is he? Come, follow me. I'm the direct descendant of Saul. He's a, yeah. So in there, he's an enemy of Saul, but he is made like a son 
David said, like one of my sons, he shall be um, at, at my table. Uh, do you see all the parables? Um, but to me, to me, the best one, I think, is, well, they're all, they're all the best. They're all tied for first. But the best one is this. He says in verse 7, David to Mephibosheth, you shall eat bread at my table continually. Continually. And I think of you and me. Revelation 3.20, I quote this verse as much as any at Calvary Chapel. Jesus says, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. Anyone who opens the door, I will come in and I will dine with him. How weird is that? Jesus is going to come in and dine with me? It's only weird because we don't understand Jesus. If we understood who it was, it makes all the sense of the world. It makes, all the, it makes a lot of sense to me today. It didn't, whatever, 30 years ago, but that, yeah, he comes in and he dines. And the same thing happened with Mephibosheth. He was able to dine, to eat at the table of David every single night, just like any other son. He was treated like any other son. I wonder if some of the other sons were jealous. I am virtually certain they were. They were a carnal bunch of kids. Because of what we're going to read, uh, we're going to study uh, next time. When we get to Second Samuel chapter 11, we're going to find out why, why his sons became so carnal. But, but um, incredible picture of... Jesus Christ, and of you and me in the Old Testament. No doubt something that uh, Jesus would have pointed out to those two guys on the road to Emmaus. Oh man, I smile just because every time I think of that story, can you imagine being them? Can you imagine being them? <laughs> Having a Bible study? Uh, I don't know if we're going to play that CD or they're going to have that electronic file or heavenly file in heaven when we get there. I seriously doubt it because our eyes will be so open we're not going to need that kind of thing. But um, I would have loved to have been in that Bible study. So there you have it. Uh, and I, I, I love how the chapter ends. And he was lame in both his feet. Verse 13 says, So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table. Christian, the Lord's will is for you to eat continually at his table. It, it's not to take time off, or God's going to not let me do this every day of the week. It's kind of like rolling the dice. Hopefully today, uh, you know, the, the dice will roll in my favor, and and he'll let me uh, dine with him. No, once your Jesus has come in your heart, Revelation three, Revelation three twenty, it, it's it's a permanent thing. But then it says, and he was lame in his feet. Just a, a reminder that every time that we get with the Lord, and I hope you were with him sometime today, just private time with him. If you haven't, maybe maybe you can do it before uh, going to bed tonight. Remind yourself, I'm lame in my feet, but for the power and the sweetness and the joy of God. I'm a lame, I'm a lame man, I'm a lame woman. And so what a wonderful picture of Christ in the Old Testament. Let's go to uh, chapter 10. Uh, dramatically different story here. Chapter 10 of 2 Samuel says this, and it happened after this that the king of the people of Ammon died, and Hanan, his son, reigned in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent by the hand of his servants to comfort him concerning his father. 
and David's servants came into the land of the people of Ammon. So uh, a, a king died, uh, a son came into place at that time. It just has happened in, in this country, if there's a funeral or something like that of a leader somewhere, uh, the, uh, the president of our country will send emissaries, usually, usually someone like a vice president or a secretary of state or a very high official. Same thing going on here. Uh, David uh, paying the courtesy to the uh, to the country uh, of Ammon. Uh, in this particular case, the former king and him uh, had a good relationship. Nahash had shown him kindness. Some speculate that was um, he was kind while Saul was chasing after him. It could be. There's no record of that. Uh, but that 10-year period where David was running around for his life. Um, it could be that it was probably in addition to that during just during the time that uh, he had been king, uh, perhaps the Nahash, the king of Ammon, had been one of the first kings of the surrounding area to recognize him as king. Uh, sometimes uh, it takes years and years. I and mean, there's countries today that don't recognize Israel, uh, even though it's been a country now for what is it, uh, 50, 70 74 years, uh, but there's other countries too uh, in, in the world that uh, the country, other countries don't even recognize them, even though the old power has been long gone. Um, but, and, and there's always, you know, when there's a coup or something like that, there's always a waiting game. Okay, who's going to recognize this new country as, um, as, a, as an actual country? Uh, and so, but here, um, here it, it, there wasn't a coup or anything. The king had... Uh, there was a, a peaceful succession um, of, of, of power here where the son Hanan comes into power. And David sends emissaries, ambassadors, sent ones uh, to, the, uh, to the new king, Hanan. Verse 3, And the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanan, their lord, do you think that David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? Has David not rather sent his servants to you to search the city, to spy it out, and to overthrow it? Therefore, Hannon took David's servants, shaved off half of their beards, cut off their garments in the middle of their buttocks, and sent them away. When they told David, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, wait at Jericho until your beards have grown and then return. When the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David, the people of Ammon sent and hired Syrians and Bethrohab and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and from the king of Makkah, 1,000 men, and from the Ishtab, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men. Then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array at the entrance of the gate. The Syrians of Zobah, Bethrohab, Ishtar, and Makkah were by themselves in the field. When Joab saw that the battle was against him and before and behind him, he chose some of Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians. And so uh, let's let's talk about what's happened here. And so what I, I think there's some great lessons that we can learn as Christians here. Uh, Hanan listens to bad counsel. David had nothing but goodwill for this king. And uh, the counselors of the people said, no, 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 he's in here to spy. They can only be here for evil. And, and so they humiliate the emissaries. And, and so when it says they cut their beard in half, that, was, that, didn't, that didn't mean going to a barber shop and making it smaller. That meant from the left side of their face, they cut and the left of the beard, and then the right side of the face, the, the beard stayed in place, or vice versa. And when it says cut their clothes at their buttocks, that means that they were 
uh, exposing their buttocks for their journey back from Ammon into Israel. And then David finds out and says, look, you know, this, uh, it was uh, a time where this would have been great shame to even expose um, uh, the beard in such a way. I know obviously they could have gotten robes and clothes, but it tells them to wait in Jericho uh, until their beards had grown and then they, then they could um, come back. But what can we learn from, from things like this? Because brothers and sisters, tens of thousands of men are going to die. Thousands of women are going to become widows. Tens of thousands, no doubt, children are going to become orphans or fatherless, at least, because of what happens here. And there's so much to uh, learn here, particularly brothers and sisters, during this very confusing time of COVID. What happens here? Suspicion. A wrong judgment. Lack of trust. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says what it says, love believes all things. 1 Corinthians 13 is a definition of agape love. And uh, always one of my favorite de definitions of love from that chapter, just taught, a I'm just taught at a wedding from, from that chapter, but uh, it's one of, one of my favorite wedding sermons to do. I have about four different sermons. I like that one. Uh, but it says this. It says, um, love bears all things. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 7. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The NIV, though, I, 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 um, you know, I struggle sometimes with the NIV translation. It's overall a good translation. But um, I, I think the more times the NIV retranslate things, the more... I, I struggle with things. It's still a good translation if you have it. You don't have to run out and sell it or anything. But uh, I, I, I do suggest if you have an IV for you to do just word studies on your own. But one translation that I really like from the NIV, instead of believes all things, it says love trusts at all times. Now, that doesn't mean that you put a child molester in charge of babysitting your kids. Not at all what it means. But what it does mean is this, this is a characteristic of love, that when you just meet people out in the street, as a general matter, you treat them in such a way that to generally, to trust them. Life is not worth it. Going out there, being suspicious and distrustful of every single person you see, and what's going to attract the world to you and to Christ? It's going to be love. And the Bible says love trusts at all times. And, 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 and so, you know, praise the Lord. Just a couple days ago, I was on West, West Roxbury um, Parkway when I realized that uh, I, my, my needle on my, my gas meter was, I think it was below empty. And I'm like, oh, no. Uh, and uh, my poor wife, I, I drive her crazy about that. The elders and I just read a book, by the way, and, and the author of the book said his wife likes to see how little gas is in her tank um, before she fills it up. And in her particular car, it shows miles before empty. And she texted the author of this book uh, a picture uh, that said zero miles left before empty. Wow. Oh, what, a, what, a, what, a, what an extraordinary woman that is. But I, I don't know if I would want my wife driving around with zero um, on the mileage. But uh, um, I, uh, poor Stephanie, um, I, I do tend to drive around with very little gas. But uh, I wasn't going to make it to the place I was at home. And so I drove into a speedway. And blessed be the name of the Lord, the guy there gave me five dollars of gas because in addition to having below empty i didn't have my wallet yes i know that was wrong i left without my wallet i didn't realize i did it unintentional sin jesus died for that too but uh um uh, but but he trusted and i just and i told stephanie when i got home you know it's just not worth living my life and i'm going to go pay him the five bucks by the way i'm going to go by there god willing on friday again i'm going to pay him 
uh, $5. Unless Dan DeHart goes and pays him for me because he lives right near that speedway on West Roxbury Parkway. Dan, if you do, I'll pay you back. But listen, I, I, uh, uh, it's not worth going through life not trusting. But even as a Christian, Jesus says if someone lends you money, just lend it to them, expecting nothing in return. In other words, in your heart, you're trusting them to pay you back, but you're also thinking, you know something? If they don't, it's the Lord's. It's not worth it, Christians living with a lack of trust. And what do we see out there? There's a spirit of suspicion um, out that is just dominating everyone and no one trusts anyone. Um, and, you know, every single media uh, news outlet, it's all fake news. And uh, believe me, uh, I, I, there's a certain percentage of it that indeed is. However, do we really have to carry that into the people we are with each other? No, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that with other. We're a redeemed people. We're a people. The, the Bible says that the, the, uh, the, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. I think that's Romans 5 been shed abroad in your heart and so uh, do, do we are we wise of course we're wise but as a general matter um, we trust people and if someone's going to rip us off five dollars who cares it's our witness to to just uh love at all times meaning as a general rule that's that's the persona that's a man that's a woman that we're presenting to the world and here you have it uh, just as outside the kingdom of Israel, you had uh, just just as outside the body of Christ today, there's just this crazy atmosphere of distrust. So outside of Israel, there was some distrust here in Ammon. And it's, oh, no, David's coming in here to spy you and he's going to come in here and he's going to take over. And, and 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 as a result, they gave him terrible, terrible counsel. Proverbs. Uh, uh, chapter 13, verse 20. I just have this challenge to you. Who are you hanging out with, Christian? Who are you hanging out with? Are you hanging out with a person, maybe even a person who names themselves a Christian, but who's suspicious of everything, who looks at everything, and there's always some scheme. There's always some conspiracy. There's always, uh, you know, a, a spook behind the door or whatever, a, a ghost behind the door. Uh, you, are you hanging out with that person that just doesn't trust anyone, that always looks at the worst and love believes all things, which is the other, uh, the New King James Version translation of, of 1 Corinthians 13, 7. They don't, they don't believe anyone. That is not a good person to hang out with. The Bible says in Proverbs, uh, well, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. I like Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed or come to ruin. Listen, if you have a person around you that is just never trusting, everything's a conspiracy, they're paranoid, and, and you're hanging out with them, you are going to come to ruin, the Bible says, uh, separate them from you. They're not your friend. They may be a ministry. And there's a very, that's a very important distinguish. Uh, uh, that's a very important distinction. You need, the people you hang out with, you need to decide who's your friend and who's your ministry. And if a person is behaving like this, they're not a friend, they're a ministry, and you need to be very guarded and careful when you're around them. And you need to be very intentional when you're around them. The, the reason for hanging out with them is not to receive from them, but to, 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 to minister to them and perhaps confront them. Either that or you need to separate yourself from them. Um, because the Bible says the companion of fools uh, will be destroyed. And, and, and listen, there's, there's people in every church, including ours, that warm the pews, um, but outside of the church, they're gossips, they're criticizers, they're conspiracy makers, they stir up controversy. Cut yourself from them uh, or, or rebuke them for it. And, and faithful of the wounds of a friend. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, there's people in my life who even to this day, 30 years walking with Jesus, I still can't hang out with them. I, I think 
recently, um, last year, I happened to be down in Florida and someone handed me a, the phone from a guy I hadn't talked to in 30 years. He, he, I used to hang out with him all the time. And within a minute, he just poisoned my mind with nonsense. And, and he hadn't changed in 30 years. And I was thinking to myself, I couldn't hang out with this guy even today being a pastor of a church. Uh, uh, There's certain people that be very careful of. And, and if it's a Christian, pray about confronting them and saying, listen, you bring me down, brother. You bring me down, sister. Let's concentrate on, on things such as, uh, such as it says in uh, Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, the ladies were just in it. Verse 8, it says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things and, and choose someone who leads you in that direction. Listen, if you're hanging around a person where every person that gets brought up in the conversation, they want to trash that person, you shouldn't be hanging out with them. And, and, and so, um, they, or you, when you do hang out with them, you need to rebuke them. But look at what happens here. Look at this tragedy that happens. What, what we're going to see is many women will be, get, will be widowed because of this nasty counsel that was given. So crazy. Now there's a war going on just because a bunch of counselors gave, they were paranoid, which is the unbelieving soul apart from Christ is paranoid. And, and so these are unbelievers giving counsel the, the guy's father was a, was a good man. He had a good relationship with, with David, unlikely that he was redeemed and a believer, but there are other Kings um, such as Hiram and other Kings uh, who were overall, they were, they were, they had good relationships with David um, and Solomon, but, uh, here now they're bat they're lined up against each other and uh, now job the general is going to battle these people and he says this in verse 11 he says to the people he says if the Syrians are too strong for me then you shall help me but if the people of Ammon are too strong for you then I will come uh, and help you be of good courage let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. And so I don't know about you, but that just stirs me up. Stirs up. Speaking of people that you want, or want around you, it's not necessarily Job because in other places, Job's not the greatest guy. Um, but right here, you see why Job did excel militarily and um, did prosper during the reign of David. Again, the guy did some, some bad things and deceitful things, and he lied to David more than once. But, but here, he, uh, the, the Spirit of God is upon him, and he says to the people, be of good courage. Let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. In other words, he's doing everything that is reasonable, and he's leaving the rest to God. And that's all you need to do, Christian. That's all you need to do. Do what is reasonable and then leave the, leave the rest to God because ultimately it's in his hands. Verse 13, so Job and the people who were with him drew near for the battle against the Syrians and they fled before him. When the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, they also uh, fled before Abishai and entered the city. So Joab returned from the people of Ammon and went to Jerusalem. When the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered together. Then Hadadezer sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the river, and they came to Helam. And Shobak, the commander of Hadadezer's army, went before them. When it was told David, he gathered all Israel, crossed over the Jordan, and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in battle array against David and fought with him. Then the Syrians fled before Israel. And David killed 7,000 charioteers and 40,000 horsemen of the Syrians and struck Shobak, the commander of their army, and died there. Verse 19, And when all the kings who were wished the servants of Hadadezer saw that they were defeated by Israel, 
They made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians were afraid to help the people of Ammon anymore. So here you see David. I mean, this dude has God behind him. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things he'll add. If you make God your pleasure, if you make your life about living it to the pleasure of God, you're going to have these things happen to you over time. The God of peace will crush Satan underneath your feet. And, and, and you will see these kind of victories. Uh, and and uh, so this is, this, is, um, this is what we see here. A little lesson learned, by the way, in verse, way back in verse 6. Interesting, after the humiliating thing their king had done and shaved off the beards and cut off the garments around the buttocks, verse 6 says, when the people of Ammon saw that they made themselves repulsive to David, the people of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians. In other words, instead of just repenting, you know, you may be listening tonight and you're saying, you know, I've just been stubborn with this or that. I just need to repent. I just, I, I just need to admit it and stop trying to save face and I just need to repent. They could have done that. They could have at that point said, uh, forget it, we just need to go to David and, and say, look, we did the wrong thing. But they didn't. They went out and hired Syrians, mercenaries, like three or four different kings. They hardened themselves in their pride. Don't do that. When the still small voice is speaking to you saying, hey, hey, come on, go back to the Lord. You're being foolish. Please don't continue on because what happens here is thousands of lives were destroyed. Widows, or orphans, fatherless, whatever. And, and so what a lesson we have. And, and then it, it reminds me a little where Jesus said, those who have um, will be given more, and, and those who don't have, even the little they have, will be given to those who have more. Uh, here David has already consolidated power, and the weak countries around him, even what they have, are being given over to David. This is what the Lord does over time. He prospers his people.